Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to SCNZ, Mark Watson alongside of me, all black great Justin Marshall. We head across the ditch now. Nick McCardle, iconic sports broadcaster, does the presenting on Stan Sports. Stan Sports, the home of Australian Super Rugby, joins us on the programme. Uh, Nick, good afternoon. Welcome. Mark, thank you very much. Yeah, good to good to be with you. Not such a great weekend for Australian Super Rugby sides. Uh, Brumbies uh, got up over the Rebels, I guess, is a positive. But the Drua beating the Reds, the Waratahs getting by, beaten by Moana Pacifica, and the Chiefs ending up beating the Force. Uh, when it's all said and done, uh, we now have our top eight teams. Have the Australian teams? Exceeded expectations, been disappointing, or have been probably realistic in terms of how this has played out? Yeah, if you'd asked me the question a month ago, I would have said uh, probably exceeded expectations. I reckon over the last month they've been disappointing, and, and that goes that's right across the board, including the Brumbies. Um, the, the Brumbies having rested those uh, 12 players, including eight Wallabies, just a couple of weeks ago when they went across to to Perth. They got it all wrong. I think in the the quiet moments, Stephen Larkin would probably admit that they uh, they pulled the wrong rein on that because they've just looked um, disjointed, uh, been no cohesion at all uh, since. They, they look slightly better in the second half the other night against the Rebels, but they haven't been the Brumbies that, uh, that they were, you know, five or six weeks ago. Um, and yeah, teams just seem to have fallen away. The Tars, they've been hit hard by injury. But every side's been hit hard by injury. I just, I'm a little bit over people making excuses on this side of the ditch. I, I just think that the teams have been quite poor over the past uh, two or three weeks. The, the Reds were poor. Um, you know, and there's a sense now that our teams have limped into the final series. You want to have some momentum heading into the final series, and, and we just don't seem to have that. Hey, Nick, thanks for joining us, mate. Always appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I wanted to tap into you about some of those decisions. Is Australia adopting the same rest uh, protocols as New Zealand? Like, has the, the, the ARU said that they have to have a, a time where they stand down or it's just at the coach's discretion from the, from the clubs? Yeah, Marshy, to be honest, I'm not sure how how strictly it's it's policed and, and how tightly it's regulated. But I think there is an understanding between the Super Rugby teams and and RA that uh, that they will be rested. Um, you know, Jed Holloway didn't play last night, for example, because he was due a rest. Um, Michael Hooper uh, missed last week because he was due a rest. Um, I think the issue around how they've been managed is uh, I think that's the real issue there um, you know the decision and Bernie we asked him about it on air the other night about that decision to to rest en masse your wallabies and that was something that had been planned all year they targeted that game uh, against the force to give their big names a rest uh, it didn't work for them it backfired on them something fierce um, and I think that 
there's a management issue there. You look at uh, the New Zealand sides, and they've you know arrested one or two guys throughout the year, but never really on mass. Um, and when you look at teams like uh, wandering around in Australia at the moment, I'm just not sure we've got the depth to be able to. You know, the Brumbies have probably got the best depth, um, one of the best programs in the country, and and if they can't rest on mass, then no other team's going to be able to rest on mass. You know, you, you can't leave big names like that out and expect to, to beat teams. Um, they underestimated the force and, and it's hurt them. It really has. Do you think it's a concern that in general uh, the Australian teams, and particularly the, even the top sides like the Brumbies uh, and the Waratahs to a degree, and you know, let's put last night's result between the Waratahs and Moana Pacifica aside, struggle to win in New Zealand because now that's the only way that they're going to, to win by the look of it, a um, apart from a miraculous uh, situation developing, is the only way they're going to win a Super Rugby title. Why do you feel that they struggle to win games in New Zealand in general? That is a really good question, Marcia. And I think if, if the answer was clear, um, you know, they, they would have done something about it over the years. I mean, let, let's... Let's face it, individually, man on man at the moment, um, you know, the, the New Zealand teams are clearly better and, and have been, well, certainly the top New Zealand teams are better and, and have been for a long while. Why, why do teams struggle to, to win away from home and, and across the ditch? I, I can't answer that. Is it, is it purely a, a talent thing or is it something outside of that? But it's become part of, unfortunately, I, th- I think it's become part of the language here about um, you know when we talk about teams going to Christchurch we say oh you know and I say it, it's oh, it's the toughest road trip uh, in Australian rugby to, to go to Christchurch and try to beat the Crusaders so that thinking and that language becomes embedded and and accepted um, whereas I wonder if everyone changed the way they spoke about it and seeing a visit to Christchurch as just another game of rugby might make a difference psychologically. I'm not sure whether there's too much in that, but I just, I just wonder. It's a bit like how you talk about, uh, you know, Michael Checker, for example, went through a stage where he would never call the All Blacks the All Blacks because he felt that maybe, you know, there was, a, there was an aura around the term All Blacks. He always referred to them as New Zealand. And you'd, you'd ask him in a press conference something about the All Blacks and he would come back with, oh, well, New Zealand this, New Zealand that. I wonder whether there's hmm. something about... The way the way we talk about these things and and saying, you know, why why is Eden Park such a tough place to win for the Wallabies? Haven't done it since 1986. Well, you know, maybe if we didn't make that part of the Australian psyche, it would be a, an easier problem to to solve. I, I totally agree, and because I I feel the talent is there and. There's been times where New Zealand teams have been slightly vulnerable, and the Crusaders is one of those. And to me, the Brumbies came into that game with a defeatist attitude. Again, Stephen Larkham rested quite a few players, and the Crusaders had a few out. And they, they didn't approach it in the right, with, with the right mindset and then ultimately got beaten. And the Waratahs a couple of weeks ago, who were a very good side, and again, the Crusaders were uh, uh, forced into some players rested and had injuries. And the Waratahs put out a good side but they just because I remember I talked to Chris Whitaker the night before he said we've learnt mate we've learnt not to rest players 
even though you know this game we we don't feel we were going to win and i thought oh that's an interesting comment because they just weren't the side that they had shown them themselves to be and and maybe it is all mental yeah and i wonder what would happen Marcia. i mean you can speak to this better than i can but i wonder what would happen if in a pre-season you marked on the calendar okay this is if you're the waratahs or, or the reds or the, or the brumbies um you, you mark on, on the calendar your trip to Christchurch. You've got one visit to Christchurch that year and you, go to the, you say to the guys, listen, you know, we want to win all these games, but this is the game. If we don't win another game this year, this is the game we're going to mm. win and let's build towards... I wonder whether that whole change in, in approach would make a difference somehow rather than almost surrendering... Um, surrendering that game and uh, you, you know putting it down, putting that in the loss column even before the season started. It's, it's a really interesting way of thinking about it, and that's where we've got to back to the overall discussion about you know how we manage players and um, you know make sure the players are fresh towards the back end of the season and as you head into Test rugby. Then there's this other argument, and Drew Mitchell talks about it. I've actually done a program with him this morning, but he talks about it all the time where he says, what, what's this resting business? You look at what premiership in England, how many games they play every year and, and top 14 and the travel associated with top 14 where you're, you're on a plane or on the train. You know, there's a lot of competitions around the world that play a hell of a lot mm. more games than 13 or 14 every year and then finals and then test rugby. What, you know, what are we doing? Is this become the accepted norm? And what's the science behind the accepted norm? Yeah, Nick, look, you, you won't get any argument with me. I'm just trying to prove where in the last four years there's evidence with this all-black team that rest and rotation works. In fact, it was a disaster mm. in 2007. You go back and look at our World Cup victories in 2011, 2015. The best player on the field was Jerome Kano, arguably in both World Cups, and he pretty much played every minute of uh, both World Cups. Didn't rest. Kevin Mialamu, another. And the only thing that seems to get frustrated are the fans. And I think, uh, hopefully, under Scott Robertson next year, we sort of move away from that and put it in the hands of our Super Rugby coaches and our Super Rugby coaches uh, are not dictated to because when it's all said and done, players are going to pick up injuries anyway, and therefore they're going to miss games just through, you know, uh, natural attrition. And then there are going to be those games where, for the greater good, you're going to give your wider squad a go anyway. So I'm not sure why then you need to have a third reason to rest players. Uh, look, I, look, I, I want to move away from maybe a little bit of the doom and gloom and talk about maybe some of the good points that have come out of Super Rugby from an Australian point of view. Who are the feel good stories? Who, who are the players that have stood up and introduced themselves to the wider? wider rugby community, stars of the future perhaps? Yeah, well, it's, it's a good question. One of them I think that we were very excited about, and unfortunately he's picked up a, a knee injury uh, for the Waratahs, Max Jorgensen at the back. So the son of Pete Jorgensen, who uh, played a lot of uh, football for, for New South Wales. Um, he's straight out of school. So he's a kid. Um, my son plays in the school system here, and I've been watching this kid tear it up over the last few years. Everyone knew he was going to be a star. But the pace at which it's happened is, is really interesting and he's, he's really learned to, and we've talked to him about it, he's learned to deal with the contact of fully grown human beings coming at him and he was doing so well. I think Eddie Jones was going to include him in his first squad. He, he liked what he saw. How much test rugby he would have played at, at the age of 19 is another question. Um, so, yeah, he's a star of the future. Corey Tool, again, not a big body for the Brumbies on the wing out of the Sevens program and, 
And another good story that he probably wouldn't have necessarily got his chance in the Sevens program except through COVID. He was one of these these COVID contracts and um, and so got his opportunity, then moved into the Brumbies program and, and his proof that out-and-out pace uh, is still a winner on the wing. Um, doesn't necessarily match it physically, but if he gets the ball in space, pretty hard to, to stop. Um, just thinking around... Um, oh, Tom Liner um, in Queensland, uh, chip off the old block, not his son at the age of, I think, 20. Um, so his brother Louis been in and around the England squad uh, for a little while. So Tom comes back and commits himself to, to Queensland rugby. And um, he's had a pretty good year as well, just a really safe pair of hands and a developing, uh, developing 10 um, Langy Gleeson is another one, although hasn't had an outstanding fortnight or so in the back row for New South Wales, but a really damaging uh, ball carrier. And uh, it, it certainly, he has just re-signed, so certainly a, a star of the future for the Waratahs. He made his, um, made his Wallaby debut on the Spring Tour last year, and a lot of people like what they saw. And I've been really impressed by the development of Nick Frost as well for... The Brumbies, um, big unit, very athletic. He was a terrific junior athlete. Um, I think he ran the 400 in a pretty quick time for a big human. He moves really well. And so he, he's going to be uh, certainly you know, wearing the, the Wallaby gold jersey for many years to come. So there, you know, there's, a, there's a, a good crop of, of green shoots there. Um, if they can bring them on and, and develop them in the right way, uh, and, and not expect too much too soon because I think if there's been an Achilles heel with Australian rugby over the last 10 to 15 years, we're always on the search for the next star. And players come through and expect, are expected uh, too much of too quickly to just give these guys, particularly you know the, the playmakers, give them a, a time to develop and, and know their game. Uh, I think we're going to look pretty healthy in, in years to come. Hey, Nick, I sat down as we usually do and have a beer and debrief the game um, amongst our Sky crew last night and I know that you do it with Stan Sport as well after the, ga- after the game. You've got your, your talent there, guys that have played international rugby and our chat was moved on to the Wallabies and we said, who, who is the Wallabies fullback? And we couldn't, we couldn't really come up with the answer. D- d- does your group know who that Wallaby <laughs> fullback is? And more importantly, does Eddie Jones have any idea? Yeah, well, I think Eddie Jones probably has an idea. I think, um, I think Max Jorgensen, you know, would have been on the radar. As I said, I don't know how much, uh, how much Test footy he would have played this year. Um, well, Mark Nwanganitawasi didn't uh, cover himself in glory last night. He'd be a candidate. Uh, Tom Banks, um, who's gone to Japan this year, um, you know he's the incumbent. Um, whether they look at getting him back, I'm not. To be honest, I haven't. I haven't seen uh, how he's been travelling. Whether he's played much rugby and how good it's been in Japan. But it's it's a really good question, Marshy. It, it really is. Um, there's no one that really stands out. Do you go back to a Reese Hodge? Perhaps at least you know what you're going to get in that scenario. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a really good question. Who did you guys come up with? Well, we talked about um, we talked about the boy from <laughs> the Brumbies whose name eludes me. Sorry, uh, who's playing there now? 
who played on the wing. For the Brumbies. Yeah. Corey, Corey Tool. Oh, sorry, Tom Wright. Tom yeah, Wright. Yeah. Tom Wright yeah. kind of came into the mix, but we thought that he plays so well on the wing that you'd probably argue that that's his best position, but he's still making yeah. a pretty good fist of fullback here. But we, we did struggle a bit. Um, Callaway yeah. obviously is playing there for the Rebels, but that's he what hasn't say about been Andrew the same Callaway. player. No, he, he hasn't. And, you know, unfortunately, Kel, uh, he's, he's got a bit of the Adam Ashley Coopers about him as well. He's a bit of a Mr. Fix-It, um, can play pretty much mm. anywhere from, you know, 12 through 15 um, to 11 through 15. So, you know, he could be an option. Uh, he has played there before. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good question. But the, the fact there's no standout probably tells part of the story. Um, it does. Yeah, it, it did take yeah. us more than one beer to come up with that. So <laughs> you can bring the, is that because, you can bring the is that because um, subject. Think of anybody to you. Yeah, you can bring the subject up with your group um, if you want, and that, that should uh, provide you with some entertainment. But um, hey, I wanted yep. to ask you about Eddie Jones's comments this this week. Um, what what's he up to now, mate? Honestly, I don't know. If people out there haven't heard. He's kind of said in a funny sort of a way that he could possibly be pulling the pin after the Rugby World Cup on a four-year deal that he signed with the Australian Rugby Union. Was just, yeah. Again, that was topical for us last night. It was, I mean, you know, well, you know, Eddie's Eddie. I mean, the other part of that was he, he also told, was it a podcast in England, I think? He also said that yeah. he was basically uh, volunteering uh, in the role. Well, I've got on pretty good information what sort of cash he's on, I can tell you, I'd volunteer for that amount of money <laughs> as well. Um, he is certainly not volunteering, so I don't know where that came from, but I, I don't know. Is that is that just Eddie, you know, wanting to be wanted, perhaps? Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of that. I, I, yeah, I couldn't... That, that had a lot of us scratching our heads. Now, he, he is here because he wants to coach the Wallabies at a Home World Cup. That, it mm. completes the circle. And that is, uh, that is something that he is desperate to do. Um, he talks about this World Cup being a smash and grab. And, you know, he, he, is, he can't lose in this World Cup. If they, had, if they have success uh, in France, he will look like a genius. Um, you know, if, if they make a semi-final, I think you'd have to say that is successful post-2019. And he will be hoping to do a hell of a lot better than that. Um, so, so he's he's going to look like a genius if they if they do that or better, and then if they don't, he's going to go. Well, you know, I would just really I just pick things up late here, and we're building something. And don't you worry, uh, <laughs> we're going to be fine in four years' time. So, it's a win-win situation for Eddie, and he wants to be the man to coach the Wallabies at a home World Cup. So I'm not quite sure where that all came from. That that podcast. Sometimes, as you well know, uh, sometimes Eddie can just you know, throw things out and to feed the chooks, pretty much. Nick McArdle, it has been an absolute privilege and a pleasure, my good man, to have you on our show this afternoon. Thank you. To the both of you, thank you very much. Anytime.